Hey, what's up, friends? How are we today? Good morning. Welcome to December. Here we go. 19 days left until you have to have all those gifts on your list purchased, right? That's it. That's all you got. 19 days and then it's Christmas Eve. It's such a wonderful opportunity to be celebrating this Christmas season. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we're so grateful and thankful to be a part of your countdown to Christmas. We've got this series that we're right in the middle of. This is week two. It's called Madvent because we recognize a couple of things. Sometimes the holiday season can be a little bit more intense than we, we would like it to be. Uh, here's the reality. Some of you know that my wife and I, Bonnie, we've got five children. There are seven people in our household. We don't always get along with one another. There are seven competing sets of priorities, seven different personalities, seven of everything. You can imagine the conversations in our house sometimes can get a little bit obtuse, can get a little bit challenging can get a little bit even more volume-wise louder than you might think. In all of those things, you know what I'm learning as a parent? You have to broker peace. One of the two things that uh, are, are kind of viable options for us here in our household that help us to broker peace when there's a breakdown of some sort relationally or otherwise is as snacks. Snacks are a good thing. Or screen time or some sort of entertainment. Those are good things. And as we use those as a peace bartering offer, sure enough, over time, what once was a disconnect becomes a connection. Now, here's the thing that we can take forward from that little excerpt from the Frizzell family and that confession time. Whenever you have relational stress and strain with other people, there is a way forward if you want there to be one. The truth is, when we talk about our relational breakdowns or the challenges that we might be facing, there are times we would rather just disassociate or disconnect entirely from that relationship than fight for peace or try to create some sort of movement forward between those two parties. It's easier, per se, to walk away than it is to find a way to walk forward together. That's a challenge. And it's a good thing that we serve a God who brings peace in the midst of all that relational pandemonium. Now, the thing about this peace offering thing, it's not a brand new concept. You can criticize my parenting later and be like, you should never be giving your kids screen time. That's fine. Whatever you decide, you just, you know, send me an email at jason at centennialroad.com. And if I don't reply, please don't be angry at me, okay? We, we, can, we can take this concept and this peace offering. It's not something that we created here in 2021. It was something that was actually in existence at a very long time ago, literally thousands of years ago. It's an ancient practice where we try to create peace between two opposite parties so that you can find a way to move forward together into whatever there might be in terms of relational fruitfulness over time. If you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We're going to take a look at this ancient practice and what it looked like and kind of trace its heritage and what it means for us today. And then we're going to dive into what does it mean for us to live out peace in every moment of our lives, even when we become the source of the pandemonium and the chaos. Remember, I, I'll let you know that there's seven people in our family, seven different sets of priorities. It's not always the kids that create the pandemonium. It's also some of the other people that create that pandemonium, intentionally and unintentionally at times. 
So we've got a Bible with you. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 11 through to 15. If you've got a mobile device, open up the YouVersion Bible app or go to your app store or your Google Play store, download it. Then on the main screen, hit the more button, which is down in the bottom right-hand corner. And then to the event section, which I think is your third option to the new screen that they're going to send you to. And then C-Road Live will be the first one that you, get, you can uh, click on and you can follow along in that capacity as well. Leviticus chapter 7, starting in verse number 11. These are the instructions regarding the different kinds of peace offerings that may be presented to the Lord. If you present your peace offering as an expression of thanksgiving, the usual animal sacrifice must be accompanied by various kinds of bread made without yeast, thin cakes made with olive oil, wafers spread with oil, and cakes made of choice flour mixed with olive oil. This peace offering of thanksgiving must also be accompanied by loaves of bread made with yeast. One of each kind of bread must be presented as a gift to the Lord. It will then belong to the priest who splatters the blood of the peace offering against the altar. The meat of the peace offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the same day it is offered. None of it may be saved for the next morning. Interesting piece of text. You might be thinking, Jason, that it says nothing to do with Christmas. Why are we talking about bread with different yeasts and oils and then blood and all that stuff. This is insane. Well, I happen to be a little bit... So, just bear with me for a moment. As I said, this peace offering concept is an ancient concept, ancient practice. It actually came about at the foundation of the world, when the world began. The world in which we live was created perfectly, without blemish, Without mistake, it was created perfectly. Every element of the world in which we live was set in its right place and order. Don't believe me? Read the first few pages in the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, and you will see for yourself this is exactly the way God made it perfectly. Everything in its right place. It's a wonderful expression of love. But then brokenness entered the world, and it created a divide between, between creation and creator. Not just humankind and its creator, but all of creation. You had animals that were at one point in time friends, now enemies, that they would see one another as competition or as a food source or you name it. All of this relational breakdown and brokenness entered into our world, just flooded in instantly in that moment when brokenness first took hold of what was, used, what was formerly perfect in its inception. In that moment, the need for a peace offering became real. Something to bridge the gap, bridge the divide between what was and what is and what can be again. Restoration of kind, the peace offering. God is perfect, and in his perfect nature, he has an inability to be connected with something that is imperfect. And so he needed something to bridge that gap so he could have relational connection once again with creation and all of its expression and forms. Every element of creation, including us as humankind. And so he created this system of the peace offering so that we could have that relational connection. If you trace the history of humanity from that moment forward, there was various expressions of what this peace offering looked like. And inevitably, human beings would forget what it meant to bridge that gap or try to bridge that gap, 
cross, cross the relational, relational divide so that they could be in restored relationship with their creator once again. So periodically, they would need to be reminded what that practice looks like and the purpose of that practice. The section of text that we read here today is a reminder to the, the nation of Israel, a group of people that had been delivered from captivity. They had 400 years where they were subject to another, to overlords, another group of people that were, were dominating them. And now they were out on their own, venturing into the new reality of the world around them. And they needed to be reminded of what it looks like to have relational connection with God. So the book of Leviticus in itself has all these different instructions of various forms of what worship looks like, peace offerings and other kind of sacrificial offerings so that this whole idea of relational connection would be prevalent in their community between people and their God. That's the complexity of the peace offering. All these different steps that you and I would have had to engage in had we been born in that time frame and lived under that regime of, of what the world was like in that moment so that we could have peace with God. If you fast forward to the New Testament, like, like don't fast forward when you're reading, read all of it, it's good. But when you get to the New Testament, you read about this guy named Jesus who claims to be fully God and fully man at the same time mind-blowing when you think about it. And his mission on earth is to become the once and for all peace offering that would fully restore what was once severed at the beginning. He would be the once and for all peace bridge offering between creator and creation so that you and I wouldn't have to strive to earn God's favor in any way, shape, or form. That you and I wouldn't have to follow a list of rules and regulations and do them in the proper order and sequence so that we had the opportunity to have a restored connection with God. Instead, Jesus paved the way forward so that you and I didn't have to do that. He lived what was a perfect, blemish-less life perfect blemishless life and in doing so he marked the way of how you and I can choose to live in our own lives that's why we use this phrase here around sea road if you've been around with us for a, a while you've heard me say or Jamie or Desiree or Dan or somebody else might have said something like hey we want to live and love like Jesus or you might have heard it like this we want to love and live like Jesus well that's the why because Jesus lived the exemplary life, one that you and I can pattern our own lives off of and use it as a foundation, a springboard, a launching pad to love people radically in the world around us. Jesus lived this kind of life, but he not only did that, he, he sacrificed himself by dying a death on a cross, taking the whole weight of the world, the sin of the world, both past, present, and future, and created an undeniable, unbroken, unshakable connection between creation and creator once and for all. Jesus is the living peace offering. He died that death, three days later came back to life, and because of that reality, you and I have an option available to us to live holistically, 100% connected, with the creator of the universe because of Jesus. 
So when we think about this phrase of the peace offering, it's not just it's this little nice notion and idea. It's something that has deep weight and meaning. As I mentioned earlier, there have been different various expressions with this peace offering throughout human history. That's the theological one that we just uncovered about Jesus. But there have been other expressions of what it looked like between different groups of people. I remember reading about this in a missions class in a post-secondary education where I learned about two different groups of people that lived in a geographical area and that historically they had been at war with one another. They had tried to dominate the other group of people. But at some point, their tribal leaders wanted to forge a new way forward. And so they came up with this concept called the peace child. And what it was is one leadership group of one group of people, one tribe, and the other leadership group of the other tribe, they would select their, their chieftain or somebody in their leadership group would select one of their own children, usually their firstborn son, and they would exchange those children in a ceremonial process of peace building, peace effort making, and then they would raise those children as their own. And as long as those children remained alive and, and healthy and, and they were filled with great uh, vitality and all sorts of things, those tribes would be working towards peace with one another. I remember reading about the monarchy in the UK and reading about how historically they tried to marry into other different parts of Western Europe strategically for alliances, for military purposes, for brokering peace. We do this all the time in our world. Whether we know it or not, we are exchanging and receiving peace offerings. You know when you go to work and you're like, well, I'm not going to park in that spot because if I do, I know so-and-so is really going to have a bad day. That's a peace offering. When you're like, I'm just not going to do that. Now, some of you are going like, no, that's just avoiding conflict. You should park in that spot and have it out. Let's go. That's one expression of peace. Not always the most effective. We do these peace offerings, we crave these peace offerings all of the time between husband and wife, parent and child, estranged family member and family, neighbor and neighbor. Here's an example of a non-peace offering, taking your dog's business and dumping it on your neighbor's lawn. That's an expression of the opposite of peace, okay? Sometimes that happens. And it's in those moments that are really challenging and sticky and frustrating that you and I, we have to have a mindset of choosing to broker peace. I love being Canadian, and one of the coolest things about being Canadian is what we're known for on a global stage. We're known for our friendliness. You know, they tell Americans, if you're going to travel abroad, make sure you have a Canadian flag. But then they start talking, and they're like, you're not Canadian. Right? We have this, this air around us that we are peace. In fact, our, our Canadian military is known for its peacekeeping. Above all things, peacekeeping. Now here's the thing about peacekeeping. It's a challenge to forge that peace. If you think back to the couple of examples I shared from you historically, whether that's the monarchy, whether that's the two tribes exchanging a peace child of some kind, it's extraordinarily difficult to build peace. When Jesus offered up his life, it was extraordinarily difficult for him to do so. He did so willingly, but just before 
he did so. He prayed a most desperate prayer. He asked his father, if there is any other way, if there's any other way, let that be known. See, the reality is sometimes when we are craving peace, when we're looking for peace, it takes a lot of painful, progressive effort to get there. We have to lay down our rights. We've got to lay down our preferences. We've got to lay down our own desires to build peace. It's not, it's not talking about being compliant. It's not talking about avoiding conflict. It's about right-sizing all of that. Does it really matter if your child wants to eat chicken or beef? No. Does it really matter if they want to wear a different set of clothes than what you have picked out for them? Typically, no, as long as it's not a bathing suit in minus 25. Sometimes the hills that you and I choose to die on just aren't worth it. And instead of brokering peace, we broker anything but. And I can't help but think in the world that we live in, as chaotic as it is, we need Christ and Jesus in all of these spaces and all of the breakdowns that we happen to operate in. And if it's true that we who follow Jesus are to be known as the body of Christ, then we have an opportunity and invitation to be brokers of peace wherever we are placed. You and I have the opportunity to be a person of peace. You might be thinking to yourself, Jason, what is a person of peace? It's a, a really big, complex issue, but I'm going to focus on two things around being a person of peace. A person of peace is somebody who de-escalates a situation. A person of peace is somebody who de-escalates a situation. I was reminded of this very reality in my own household yesterday. When I was called out and said, hey, you are not being a person that is de-escalating the situation. You're pouring fuel on this fire. And I looked at it and I said, you are absolutely correct. See, there are times where you and I do not want to de-escalate a situation. We want to escalate a situation. Why? Because it gives us power. It gives us presence. It gives us authority. It gives us meaning. It gives us person. It gives us purpose. It gives us some, some sort of outlet for maybe the pain that we're experiencing. We can splash that on somebody else, and then they have to deal with it, and we can walk away and go, job well done. But then we feel worse than a $5 bill that's been run over repeatedly and rinsed and washed and tattered much later. A person of peace is somebody who de-escalates a situation. You can see this individual by the way he or she carries himself in the middle of conflict. In the middle of conflict. Are they rattled? Are they emotionally stirred? Are they matching the intensity that's coming at them in some way? When I read about how Jesus kind of navigated through life, I sometimes chuckle because I'm like, really? How did he just be like, you guys are just idiots? I'm out of here. And in various ways, he may have sort of come close to that at some times. I mean, he was always 
peeling away from big crowds and going to spend time by himself. Maybe he's a little bit more introverted than, than we are aware of, right? Recharging, going to his father like, really? Come on, this guy named Simon Peter that is supposed to be a good friend of mine? That guy? Think about it. In this last week, as you have navigated through conflict, because inevitably it's bubbled up in some way, shape, or form through a text message, an email, an in-person confrontation of some kind, with somebody you love, somebody who loves you and you don't yet love. It's bubbled up in some expression. How have you navigated through that scenario? Have you been a person that can de-escalate by your presence in what you say and what you do? Or are you adding fuel to the fire? And I wonder if you and I would be people of peace, how much more peaceful would the world around us begin to look? If wherever we walk, we were, we were extensions of the ultimate peace broker, Jesus, into that environment and into that space. I get it. It's hard. It's hard when you're 12 year old or you're 14 year old or you're 23 year old or you're 39 year old or your three year old comes to you and says, this is how you're doing something wrong. And you'd be like, well, let me give you a piece of my mind. I've lived a few more years than you. If we're going to be people of peace, if we're going to be that extension of hope and life and love in the world that our culture desperately needs, we've got to be willing to de-escalate the situation around us by our very presence, by the words that we say, the actions that we engage in and refrain from engaging in. Do you de-escalate or you escalate? Well, Jason, I'm not the escalator, but the person that I'm always with seems to be escalating. What do I do when they're escalating and I'm de-escalating? It just feels like it's becoming one-sided in the conflict. Conflict, and, and what do I do in that reality? That's when you have permission to pray and walk away. To pray and walk away. Because sometimes, let's be honest, some people just don't want there to be peace. They want to win. They want to win a, a trivial disagreement or fight. They want to win a political charged, you know, conversation. And in those spaces, the, the best expression of that de-escalation de might be just praying for that person, walking away from that conversation. That's an expression of building peace, believe it or not. See, when Jesus gave his life for you and I and built that bridge between creator and creation that can never be shaken, never be broken, never be hindered in any way. When he did that, he also gave you and I a choice to walk across that bridge or to deny its existence. See, he doesn't force that bridge on us and say, now you must conform to this new reality, this new mindset, this new expression of hope and life. He says, here's what it is you choose. And in that same mindset and in that same way, you and I can choose to de-escalate as people of peace any of the conflict and the challenges that are around our space, knowing full well that it might mean giving 
somebody the option of not walking across the bridge that we're trying to build. That's hard. That's hard because some of us really like it when people like us. Some of us are fueled by it. We can't stand it when somebody has a a different opinion of ourselves than we have of ourselves. We don't know. We don't get it. We want to be best friends with everybody. And and that's, that's that's a weighty subject. And there's a lot there that we can unpack at a later time. What I'm saying to you today is there are times where the offer of peace will mean an expression of moving away from the volatile situation, not in a reality of ignoring it, but an understanding that the timing for building and walking across that bridge just isn't there yet. Sometimes the other party or ourselves as the other party aren't ready to build that bridge. If you've got a a history in your family of of being abused or taken advantage of in some situation, or maybe even in church culture, you've been abused or taken advantage of in some situation, you might not be ready to build a bridge of reconciliation. You might need to heal a little bit more before you can even decipher the, the reality of what it could look like or begin to look like to build that bridge of peace. Timing is everything when it comes to being a person of peace, to using our words, to using our actions, to being present in every moment to the best of our ability. And using the phrase, I'm sorry, is super helpful when you're building peace. Pays to be Canadian, right? The second thing about being a person of peace is this. You and I have the opportunity and the privilege to follow Jesus into the lives of people. You and I have the opportunity and the privilege to follow Jesus into the lives of people. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you'll you'll understand that Jesus is always pursuing you with kindness and love and hopefulness. Sometimes that's in the form of a a conviction of some kind where you're doing something wrong and you know it's wrong and you need to make it right. Sometimes it's it's in a form of an expression of celebration or a reminder or an invitation or something of that nature. When we are attempting to be people of peace wherever we've been placed, we are responding to the invitation of following Jesus into the lives of people. And that's really important because, as I mentioned already, timing is everything. Sometimes the relational disconnect in our world, we're ready to restore it, but the other person just isn't ready. And when you go into an environment and one party is ready and the other party is not, most often you're going to have a disconnect. Like if you had those two groups of, of tribes of people living in the same geographical area, Both leadership groups had to be at the same point where they were willing to exchange their children, one for the other, and not have one group that was ready and one group that was not. Then the peace would not work. That's why it's really important for us to know who Jesus is, how Jesus lives and breathes and moves, so that we can recognize his invitation to follow him in the lives of people. Because sometimes we're not going to recognize it. We're going to be surprised by it. 
We're going to be surprised by it. Be like, oh, of course, Jesus, you're working here. Yeah, that makes sense. And it must be, it might be in a really unlikely fashion. It might be with a person that you thought would never be moved by Jesus. And it's in those moments and in those times that we have to recognize the invitation that's right in front of us to be a builder of peace and to have that relational disconnect healed so that you can move forward together in whatever forward movement that might look like. You might not be best friends, but you won't be enemies. See, following Jesus into the lives of people, here's, here's another expression of what that looks like. Most often, it does not mean talking to everybody else that you don't have a relational disconnect with about the person that you have a relational disconnect with. One of the most challenging things as a, as a dude that's married to a lady for a bunch of years is recognizing that I have to say sorry a lot because I do a lot of things incorrectly. One of the other challenging things is when you get together with another group of dudes and they've been married for a long time and they want to start talking about how poor their wives treat them in their marriages. I don't have time for that. If you've got a problem with your spouse, spouse, you know who you've got to talk to about it? Your spouse. If you've got a problem with your child, you know who you've got to talk to about? Your child. Your problem with your neighbor, talk to that neighbor. Follow Jesus into the lives of people. But far too often, what we end up doing is just talking about the problem to everybody else, creating an even larger problem. And then we wonder, why is peace not present in the pandemonium? Because we've escalated it, as opposed to de-escalated the situation. Can we follow Jesus into the lives of people, even when it's painful and it's, and it's humbling and sobering to say, sorry, I made a mistake. That's my bad, that one's on me. I can't help but think if you and I would live that ethos on a moment-by-moment basis, that the world around us would change, that we would change, we would begin to reflect more of who Jesus is, his life, his character, and the pandemonium that bubbles up over time won't seem as intimidating any longer because we know that Jesus is the ultimate peace bringer and builder. And when we follow him, in his season and at the right time, those relational disconnects will be restored. Could be five minutes from now, could be 50 years from now. The invitation that we have is to follow Jesus into the lives of people. Because he's the ultimate offering of peace. As we kind of wrap up our time here together today, we are going to dive into communion with one another. Because for me, communion is the, the most brilliant expression of an offering of peace that you and I can visually engage in and kinesthetically engage in to recognize what it is that Jesus has done for us. So whether you're at home or here in person, I want you to get ready the elements that you have, whether you've prepared them from your fridge, whatever you've got, or you picked something up on your way in. And we're going to dive into communion here together in just a few moments.
See, what's interesting for me is when Jesus first instituted the practice of communion, he was having a last supper and meal with a group of his closest friends, and they'd been through a lot together. I mean, one of his friends picked up a sword and chopped off a dude's ear. One of his friends, you know, was getting ready to betray him. One of his friends was going to do uh, things that, that we never thought would be possible. Another one of his friends was known as the guy that was always doubting Jesus, right? You got this whole mix of people that's gathered around in this space, and yet Jesus still loves them, cares for them, and invites them into a symbolic expression of hope through this, this spiritual practice and discipline we now refer to as communion. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was staring down the reality of offering his life for you and I so that there would be unbroken peace between creation and creator moving forward. And it's in that spirit that he invited his friends to celebrate this expression of love through what we now call communion in a real viable way. He took some bread that was laying on the table and he picked it up and he said, this bread is my body broken for you, do this. Whenever you eat it, think of me and eat it in remembrance of me. It was in a symbolic expression of what was about to happen as Jesus was going to offer his life in place of our lives to be the once and for all peace offering so that we could live. And I can't help but think as we dive further into the countdown towards Christmas, what what better way to get ready for this season than to remember that everything that Jesus did for us was about peace. So as we eat today, the bread that's been prepared or in the little cups and things that you picked up, let's remember that this was given willingly and freely so that you and I could not only have hope, but so that we could have peace for our souls. The thing that we crave and desperately need in every moment of our days. Let's eat together. It was during that same meal that there was a cup of wine on the table. And Jesus picked that up. And wine was symbolic for a bunch of different reasons in Jewish culture. Sometimes it was... Uh, an expression of healing. Sometimes it was an expression of, of joy. You would have wine at your wedding and you'd have a big celebration and a party. Sometimes it was an expression of desperation. In some um, sacrificial elements, wine was used as a bridge builder for forgiveness and all sorts of different things. And so he picked up this cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant. That old system of trying to figure it out with animals and loaves and bread and all this stuff, I've fulfilled that in my offering of my life for you. It represented this new covenant that was steeped in his own blood. That bridge that can never be shaken, never be hindered, never be, never be torn down, was sealed in the blood of Jesus offered freely and fully for you and I. And he invited his friends to drink in remembrance of him, to follow him into the lives of the people around them, 
in their region, people that they knew, people that they did not yet know, knowing that's going to be challenging along the way in order to do so. But to have uh, in the back of their mind this reality that they don't go alone into those environments and into those spaces. They go with the presence of Jesus that leads them forward, walks with them, and trails behind. So as we drink in remembrance of Jesus this morning, may we be reminded that God goes before us. He walks with us. He comes behind us. It is Christ in us and through us and around us. It is Christ alone that will change the world. Let's drink together. Father, I'm ever so thankful that we have the opportunity to even talk about peace. I'm aware there are times where I've tried to broker peace and it just not, did not go well. It didn't go well because I didn't follow you into the lives of people. I tried to do it on my own. And for that, I say, I'm sorry. And Lord, I believe that that heart and that mindset is familiar to some of us in this space as well. There are times where we tried to make it on our own. There are times that we've tried to, to do more so that, that we would be noticed or recognized or loved or appreciated or whatever it was. Father, would you allow us the gift this Christmas season to cease striving and to rest in the hope and the peace that you offer to us? Father, Relational breakdowns and tensions can be pandemonium of all kinds. And so right here in this moment, at this time, for those of us that are staring down the barrel of one of those challenging relational breakdowns, on behalf of those people in those moments, I ask that you would bring peace. I ask that you would bring courage to build peace. I ask that you would right-size expectations, that you'd mend hurts and mindsets, that you'd restore hope, and that you would release people from the burden of pain and frustration and agony on unmet expectations. And instead, Father, would you allow us to be people of peace? And that expression starts with you. And so if there's anybody here today that does not yet know who you are, whether they're in person or online, listening via radio or much later date, if they do, have not yet confessed you as Lord and Savior, Father, in these moments, would you remind them that they are not an accident? They're not an accident. They are created in love and purpose, with intentionality, with design, with hope in mind for them. And Father, would you grant them the peace that they crave in their hearts and their minds as they cry out to you? Without you, Jesus, there is no long-lasting peace. May you, be, may you remind us to be mindful of that reality the closer that we get to a holiday that centers around you, even when we forget it does at times. 
Father, I ask that you'd bless and protect us. I ask that you'd make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. I'd ask, Lord, that you'd grant us your favor and your peace. In all things and in all ways. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.